Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Tom Hostikundel, the Kyle Waterpeaker's line-breaking assist of the podcast. Neither me nor Liam Cooper foresaw this eventuality. And I'm joined today by the Adam Armstrong brace of the podcast. We actually did foresee this eventuality. It's Martin Riley. How are you, Martin? I'm doing good, thank you. I've just finished work. I've not eaten yet, so we can get that question out of the way. Um, but I am currently drinking a can of Phil Hayes' favourite um, brew, so I'm full of Scottish power at the moment. How about you? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm not too bad. Uh, I had a uh, prosciutto crudo uh, capitelli today. So nice. Nice, nice. nice, easy three minutes in in the pan just to cook so that I could finish my rewatch, basically. And speaking of the rewatch, that's what we're here to discuss. We're here to review Leeds' 3-1 defeat away at Southampton on Saturday. And we'll start quickly by going over some news before turning our attention to the game. And that's the news. Um, there, there, there really just is none. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go into the game summary. So Leeds approached the game with their usual 4-2-3-1, 4-4-2 hybrid shape, with Southampton opting for 4-4-2 diamond. The game got off to a bad start for Leeds very early, with Adam Armstrong converting a waterpeaker's pass into a goal into only the second minute. Leeds were being pressed high by Southampton, limiting the visitors' ability to build play, while Leeds weren't able to do enough to prevent Southampton from building play with their press. Leeds again struggled to create chances in their own possession, and Southampton were able to penetrate our goal, scoring a second in the 31st minute from Will Smallbone, and then getting a third in the 35th minute again with Adam Armstrong, although that might be Pascal Strike on goal. Leeds changed their pressing approach in the second half with Southampton easing off from their press, resulting in Leeds being able to build attacks a bit more, and Leeds had the majority of chances in the second half, but were only able to score once, which came from a set piece, and it was Pascal Strike in the 59th minute. The game ended 3-1 with Leeds unable to produce any big chances, and Southampton ended the game with 1.5 xG to Leeds' 0.8 xG, per FB ref. So I don't think there's anything else to go over there in the summary. I think so now. So let, let's yeah, let's uh let's start with the interrogation. And Jacob did the running order for us today nicely and kindly and he wants to know which do we think had the bigger impact 
of the game and how it played out? Was it the way that each manager approached this game at a tactical level or the way that the game played out due to game state with a goal being so early on? And if I was to answer that first from Jacob, I'd say that it was a bit of both. Um, tactically, I don't think we were good enough after going 1-0 down. Um, in build-up, what I felt we saw, and we'll definitely get onto this a bit earlier, me and you, um, we didn't see Byron or Shackleton getting up the field as much in build-up, and that meant that Kamara didn't drop in to one of those spaces, like we have been seeing a midfielder drop in to those full-back spaces in build-up. Um, and that meant that Kamara and Ampadu were, they kind of like created a tra- trapezoid with Cooper and Strauch, and then Byron and Shaq just stayed in the same line, so it was like a 2-4. And that just meant that the middle of the pitch was really stodgy, and Southampton were, were quite able to um, congest that area, meaning we couldn't build up through there. And I think tactically that just worked perfectly into Southampton's hands. Um, they funneled us wide, and then when we went wide, they were able to, you know, we couldn't ever get back into the middle to Ampadu or Kamara because, as I just said, we, we let that be congested. Um, I think that, I, I don't know why that was. My thoughts were that maybe we were trying to keep the fullbacks deeper, not wanting to be beaten by transition with Southampton's wingers and wide players. So, you know, we know that Armstrong was coming in off the right and they were kind of playing with a false nine in um, Alcaraz. And then they had Sulemana on the left. Um, so that was the only reason why I thought that maybe that happened. And I just think that, that it didn't work for us. And I don't think we tried to change that too much. I mean, Fark said at full time he didn't change anything for in possession. And I think that that's where we actually needed to change some things personally. I don't know if you think different, mine. No, I'd agree with a lot of what you said there. It is definitely a combination of the two. Definitely conceding the goal in, in the second minute will obviously change the way both teams approach it on a certain level. But also the way which we approached it tactically at that point didn't work and it really quite played into the way Southampton were approaching the game as well. Um, they made all the right choices in regards to some changes that they made to the way that they press, which I'll cover on the on a later question in more detail. Um, but just, it was definitely a mixture of the both. And unfortunately, on this occasion, uh, Daniel Farker came out on bottom, and, and he was the, I suppose, the Jedi Master to the Padawan in the, in this relationship between uh, Russell Martin and Farker because Russell Martin played under. Daniel Farker briefly when he was Norwich manager. So that's quite an interesting little anecdote, which I'm sure was covered quite heavily on whatever commentary you will have listened to it on. Um, but yeah, that's about all I can add to that one. Yeah, and um, we then had several questions regarding Southampton's press, um, as you just alluded to. And arguably the biggest decision prior to the game was whether to start Joe Rodon, whether he was going to come back in for Liam Cooper. Um, and everyone assumed that the right foot centre-back would come back in, and he also has a really good ability to play through pressure. So do you think that within that, Southampton were able to disrupt us effectively because of us playing Cooper and Strout, two left-footers at, at centre-back? Is that where the disruption came from, Southampton? No, I don't, I don't think it was particularly. Uh, there were some changes to the way Southampton press, which from what I noticed on the preview um they weren't pressing in the same way um it was quite a subtle change but i think it will have disrupted them because we will have prepared for a certain way of pressing um in midweek during training um and the way southampton were pressing was more of a 4-4-2 approach um so there was just two players in the in the forward press um with two midfielders behind and two quite narrow narrowish wingers behind so it, it so it was more 
two in the forward line were far behind, whereas this one was more free players were in, were in the forward press. You had Sulemana on the left-hand side with Armstrong on the right, and then you had Alcaraz in, in the middle putting pressure on quite really well. He was an absolute monster in, in pressing, and it really did put our back line under a lot of pressure. So I think that change is what affected the way we were building up. We was expecting a certain thing, and it didn't quite happen because Martin changed the way he wanted to press and it was very effective. I don't think Joe Rodham would have made much difference to this eventuality. Um, I've not, Joe Rodham is, is, is pretty good under pressure, but on previous games, this is the first game where we've seen our team come under a really good high press. Ipswich was more of a mid-block, I'd say, rather than a high press, whereas Southampton is the first time we've come across a true high press. And... I think the backline struggled generally overall with it. And I don't think adding Joe Rodham to the mix would have made much difference. Because one thing I did notice when I watched him before he came to Leeds was that, yeah, he was reasonably good under pressure, but he would be liable to just hit the ball long when he's under pressure. And that was quite similar to the way that Strauk was handling the situation at times as well. Um, it may have made some small differences in certain situations, but I don't think it would have made a massive difference, in all honesty. At least that's the way I saw it. I'm not sure if you saw much different in that. No, not, uh, I agree. The one wasn't anything. Like I said, I think the bigger issue was um, the fact that both Kamara and Ampadu were staying deep. There wasn't like that kind of rotational of who's dropping deep to try yeah. and collect it. They were both kind of deep at the same time, quite a lot of the time. And that, I think, created more issues within our build-up. Um, yeah, it just meant that we obviously didn't have a high fullback, which is what we usually do. And when we have a high fullback, that means that uh, another Southampton player somewhere has to pull, has to like pull and look at that space, and that creates that space for us to build up like in that two three of what we've been seeing of either Ambadu or Kamara dropping in to collect from the centre backs, and we we just didn't didn't see that, and that I think I think that was the main issue. For me, um, and I think that made Southampton's press a little easier for them mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah, yeah, that 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 was my take. I didn't think that Joe Rodham would have made much of a difference. Um, but do you agree with the rationale of Farker and for playing Cooper instead of Rodon? The not changing a winning side from how well we played against Watford. Um, it's it's worth noting that he did change winning teams after Millwall and Ipswich. Um, so yeah, do, do you? Did you agree pre-game with him keeping the team, and then how did you feel it went panning out through the game? Well, I think there, I think I can understand what Fark's rationale is there, um, but at the same time, Roden had done really well for, for the rest of this season, and he agreed. The reason for him being sent off was a little bit harsh on Roden because the yellow card, that's part of it. The first one was just not a yellow card, so it was harsh to not put him back in. I think. But I can also see where he's coming from because if you can't reward um, squad players like Cooper, which I think what we have to say that he is now, if we can't reward squad players, it doesn't really give them as much incentive to want to help the team to full degree. I know Cooper would anyway because he, he loves the club and that's clear. But other squad players in similar circumstances could see that and think, well, if you're not going to give the club captain time in the game after he's after he's just been the winning side who kept a clean sheet 
what what do I have to do to get into this side? So it could have have a knock on effect. So I can see where Fark's rationale is with wanting to keep Cooper in the side. It's just unfortunate that the first goal did come from maybe they have a lapse in concentration or a wrong decision made by Cooper in the first goal. He was he did push up. I'd say needlessly high in that situation. Um, there's no reason for him to have pushed out of the defensive line. That said, the player who he was looking at was being marked, I believe. So, but yeah, I can I can understand it, but maybe I would have preferred to have have Roden in just for this game. Although it probably wouldn't have made too much difference in the result, as I've already mentioned. Yeah, no, I think that first goal, he, he kind of there's that runner that goes behind Kamara, and he just gets dragged to him a little, mm-hmm. um, and it. It, it, it was poor. He should have just kind of left it because even with the direction of where the runner's going, um, you, you're hoping that Byron's got him, yeah, because uh, that that was the direction in which he was going to. And I guess again, just regarding that decision, and I know that me, Dan, and Adam discussed it on the uh, review last week. Do we think that Farker wants Cooper or Ailing within that defence for some? kind of seniority and experience um, within the squad. That would make sense, to be honest. It does seem that there's always been one of that, one of those two in, in, in the back line. And we've seen Ailing drop out with Shackleton co- coming in. And if you think, if you look across the team, there's not very much experience in it. Um, you've got the, a young strike pairing in Perot and Rutter. I know played a fair few more games than what Ruter has, but he is still only, what, 23, 24, I think. So he's still relatively young. And you've got Ampadu, although he's also experienced, he's only, only still 24. And Is he even that? <laughs> yeah, he, he, he may have still be 23, I'm not yeah, sure. I think, I, think, I think he's 22, you know. Or is he might have really? just gone 23. Yeah, either way, he's, he's, he's young. And then you've got Kamara, who is pretty experienced, so that is a good thing to have in the side. He's, what, like 28, 29 is, is Kamara. Badu is 27, yeah. Yeah, so he's also relatively experienced, but I think he just wants to have that extra leadership in there, which is still intangible things, which, will, to be fair, a lot of managers do like to have at least a couple of experienced guys, especially in the back line. Um, it helps with our organisation and other things which we don't know about really because we're not involved yeah. in it. we're not involved with the team so it's kind of a hard one for us to comment on really but I do think that is the case that he just want a couple of leaders in the back line. Yeah, I guess, I guess for me, um, I think players at the age of twenty six and above should be should be starting to take on those sort of roles, so like your Kamaras and your Rodons, uh, who's obviously had experience, he's been at a bigger club mm-hmm. and. Uh, at Spurs and he's played over in a different country that that brings you different sort of skills um, and then obviously we're, we're playing Byram at the moment and I think that he's you know he's 30 so yeah, like, that that's a lot of experience there albeit he's got different experience from being injured and that sort of thing so maybe he doesn't want to put that uh, on him while, while he's just trying to get back used to playing yeah it's hard for me to to realise that Byram is an experienced member of this squad now, it's it's just with the way he's come back into the side, it's just I can't acknowledge it. But yeah, he's clearly an experienced player. He's played, I think, will it, will it be at 150 games for us or something like that? He's, I think, he's, I think he's broken 150 now. Yeah, yeah. So he he's got a lot of experience for us. So yeah, that that is more experience. So I think maybe there would be an authority in the back line to warrant leaving out both Cooper and Ailing. In, in all honesty, because also when um, 
we've got all our players back free and fit from injury. We'll have Jed Spence back at right back as well. So, yeah, I think we just need to let go of a bit of that experience and benefit of the team overall, I think. Yeah, I wonder if it was just the opposition as well, why Mm. you maybe wanted to just keep that. But away from the defence, at the other end of the pitch, Stephen Rayner on our Patreon pointed out that we seem to struggle to create chances, as we have slightly touched on earlier on. He says that he noticed Jorginho Rute drifting wide even more than he usually does. What was going on with our attack on Saturday? So yeah, there's a few things which I think were, were going on. And I think there was, like we've mentioned, there's a bit more from Rute moving into wide channels. And I think Perot was maybe more central and a little bit further forward than what, what, he, what he normally was. So I'm not sure if this is something which Farker is trying to encourage or to improve. And I also noticed that Perot wasn't dropping deep to help in build-up quite as often as what he had been doing in previous games. There was a, lot, a fair few times where we were under pressure at the back that he would drop into that space um, around where the defensive midfielder would, would be and and help out in that sort of way. And that wasn't seen as often. And I don't know if that if he's just not used to the, the way playing more central and further up for us and it's put him off his rhythm. But Either way, I think the Southampton were quite good at our possession and stopped us from doing certain things, which we normally do. And also, sometimes the right runs weren't being made. I saw a few times where Perot was, instead of making a run to the near post, he was sort of just like holding himself back and just waiting for a cutback rather than attacking the near post when you want your striker to be attacking that near post at all times. <laughs> and you need to give that option because that's where the best chances come from and he wasn't making those runs. And that affected things, definitely. Yeah, I think um, for me, that's that's where we have to try and get the right profile to play alongside Perot because I think what Perot's good at is finding himself in those positions where the ball breaks mm-hmm. from from those from the ball going into the middle, and that's why he holds himself back. Yeah, and I guess if you ask him to do something else that's not his game, uh, you might take away from what is his what is his game yeah. regarding his goal scoring abilities. Um, Regarding him dropping deep to help in that defensive midfield line, like we have seen, I think again, I think this must have been tactical from Farker um, to ask him not to, and because obviously that space that he usually drops into is whatever's vacated by Ampadu and Kamara, and it's him that drops in, yeah. so that we're dragging someone, and we didn't, like I said, we, we we clearly didn't do that because we didn't move our defensive, we didn't move those players around as much. Um, so yeah, like. Like I alluded to in the first question, I think that Farker just got a few things wrong tactically with some decisions yeah. that he probably tried to do to um, to unsettle Southampton and it didn't work. But yeah, for me, I wanted to see a switch it up once that wasn't working. I don't feel like I don't feel like we did. Um, and going forward with regards to Ruter and him going wide, I think it was more that the space for the channel for running the channels and with us. With us only being able from the back to get it to Shackleton or uh, Byram because we weren't being able to go through the middle, his channel running was always going to be in that half space out or towards out wide. Um, and then, yeah, obviously later on in the game when Pat came on, he was playing right wing. Yeah. Um, with uh, did Perot go ten still? Um, yeah. No, I think it wasn't Perot. No, Perot came off. Yeah, yeah, Perot came yeah, off. Yeah, Perot so. came off. Yeah. Um, I can't remember who went it. We went at ten now. No, 
I'm not sure, actually. Yeah. <laughs> we should have planned this before. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm not sure what happened, but yeah, the, the, he definitely did move to the right, to the right channel, um, when Pat came on. And I think also earlier on in the game, I, th- I wonder if Games Take could have had been an influence as to why Perot was further up the pitch more than what he was normally doing. Maybe trying to give more of an out ball further up the pitch. Um, that's just one thought that was just, Twinkling through my head when I was when I was listening to you talk. Then that is that could be an, yeah. could be another reason because um, players do like to get themselves into more advanced positions when we are chasing a game, and that does seem like a natural thing for pro to, to want to do. So that's also something else that could have been happening. Yeah, and we've touched on how good Southampton's press was. So, but our approach wasn't very good. Our approach out of possession was quite ineffectual. What do you think we were doing wrong and how was Southampton able to exploit it? Well, I think as well as the change which Southampton made to their out of possession, they also made some small tweaks to their in possession build up as well. Um, as most will know, if anyone who listened to the preview, I mentioned that they have quite heavy inversion from their fullbacks, um, with both left back and right back getting, dropping into the second line of, of build up. So you get a two, three, build up with the defensive midfielder in the middle of the free. Um, but what was happening was their fullbacks were wider than normal, especially I noticed Manning was getting into what wider areas a lot more than what he normally does. And I think this disrupted the way we were looking to looking to press. And also it wasn't aggressive enough to dis- disrupt them enough. I did mention that I did think that Farker could ease off the pressing in this game and that does seem to be what happened. But because Southampton scored so early and that meant meant that they didn't have to go forward as much. There wasn't as much space for us, for us to attack. So it's a combination of Southampton's slight tweak to the way they build up and the game state affecting it, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I felt that the what we've seen in the past couple of weeks, which I've kind of touched on, where we've tried to maybe funnel the ball into your players like Ampadu and Gray to, and Kamara to win the ball centrally, I felt like their midfielders were able to dealt really well with the ball going into the middle, and they got it wide and played through the pass. So I think, um, I think the first goal we kind of see that it comes into the middle. I think it's to Smallbone, yeah. and he plays a nice little pass through about three players that haven't quite pressed him properly, mm-hmm. um, and he plays that out to Walker Peters, and then he uh, he obviously plays the pass through into Armstrong. Um, and I just think Southampton dealt with that really well. So that kind of tactic from as being passive in that press played into their hands again and yeah i just think i just think that we i think we all thought that the way that southampton had been playing before the game and the way that we'd been playing that this was going to end up being quite a end-to-end game and that was going to play into our hands and in the end kind of our actual game played into their hands a lot lot more yeah Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So, yeah, did you? what did you think of the change that Farkin mentioned post-match where he said that we changed our out-of-possession style in the second half and we went more men-to-men? Did did you think that that was effective? Yeah, I do think it was more more effective than what we we saw in the first half. Um, but basically, what he's alluding to there is, like I said, went more man to man in in the way they were approaching the pressing, and it ended up being quite similar similar to the way which Southampton were pressing. Um, you had Perot who was stepping up to join Jorginho in the two two man forward press, and then you had Somerville who was just behind putting pressure on. Um, was it Downs who was there? Defence midfielder. See the downs are small, but yeah. yeah, and so yeah, you, you had uh, that that shift which put more bodies around their build-up area, which did stop them from getting it through to our final third as often. And we did have the majority, well, much more chances in the second half, and we were able to disrupt them from their build-up in that way. And I think if we would have approached the game with that from the start, it may have been different. I think it was much more effective than the first half. But the first half wasn't really effective at all, so it was um, not really a high bar to clear to improve where it was. And Southampton didn't need to attack us as much because they were already three goals ahead going into the into the second half. So it was, it was really a small improvement. Which yeah, there was what well, it was good, but too little, too late in my opinion. Yeah, and worth noting that that change also just tweaked something in possession when we did win the ball back slightly. So if we go back to the question regarding Rute going wide, there were times where because Somerville was in the middle man-marking, uh, when we won the ball back, he'd he'd stay in the middle. Mm-hmm. And so Rute being on like a centre-back on the left, he, he'd just take up that left wing role a little bit just for that first phase until Somerville may have done or Somerville's drifted back out wide to the left and then he'd, he'd come back inside. So I think kind of like that was part of what Rute was doing and... Um, yeah, I think one one thing I wanted to actually discuss regarding Ruter and Somerville just popped into my head and it's kind of throwing a curveball. The Farker also, so it's a curveball for you as well, Martin, because okay. I want I want your opinion on, on, on this goal, basically. So the second goal was obviously this cutback to Will Smallbone mm-hmm. and there was a lot said about regarding Somerville not chasing back properly. Farker said that obviously Somerville had just come back on um, and that, that made it a bit more difficult for him. I've got a different point of view, but I'm, I'm wondering if you agree with what Fark said um, regarding that goal and where 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 it, where you think it fell down for that goal within our system. Well, there was a couple of things which I think went wrong with the way we approached that goal and why it happened. Um, I think there was not enough pressure being played to the ball carriers in in the middle areas, which made it easier for them to get the ball over to Sulemana, was it, who set it up? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he was able to get quite easily behind Shackleton on that side, and as the players were all, were all dropping deep, it was, I think it was quite hard for Somerville to to really get. Him. He, he could have made a little bit more effort, I think, to try to to keep up with Smallburn, which could have put him under more pressure. But he still, it was still a very good assist from Sulemana, I think, and yeah. I think there's a few things which could have been done better, but it, it's also it, a very good finish, yeah, right? It was a yeah. Put, there's nowhere else where Smallbone could have put it, which would have completely bamboozled Melier. Just literally side footed it straight off the post, and in. it was a great finish. And he arrived in the box well at the same time. And 
let's face it, uh, if it's not just one individual who's at fault for these sort of goals, there's also, I felt, a lot of players who were ball-watching um, during that. Uh, you saw, I saw at least four or five of them who were just staring in the direction of the ball. Ampadu was picking up no one in particular, and he wasn't trying to see any danger around him, and the ball moved not that far away from him. So I think there's definitely more than one person who was culpable, and it would be harsh to pin it all on Somerville, in my opinion. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the ball watching, because that was actually my main takeaway mm. from uh, re-watching it. Was, so I, I wanted to, after Farkas comments, I wanted to really watch that whole sequence of when Somerville went off, when he came back on, mm-hmm. what, what happened. So I, I remember seeing it first time in live that Ruter took up the left wing role, where Somerville was in our settled in our uh, kind of press and our settled defence. Uh, when he came back on, they, they swapped nicely. Ruter went back up, uh, went back up to the front line. And yeah, Somerville was actually, he was on for a, a good 10 or 15 seconds before he passed the halfway line. He does a little shoulder roll, but what really happens is the player, he's he should be staying on Walker-Peters and Walker-Peters is still kind of in an area where he, he's managing. And Smallbone really should be Glenn Kamara's man. And Glenn Kamara just does not look at him once he's just caught ball watching yeah. throughout the whole sequence. And that that's, for me, really, it was an experienced player where it really fell down. Um, I don't think it's really on. Some, Somerville maybe should have noticed that Kamara's been caught ball watching, um, tried to get a shout to him. And while the shout's not working, probably should have worked harder back in that sense. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, for me, the biggest mistake of not pick, the the biggest mistake for the person not picking up Smallbone was Kamara. Um, I, I I was just wanting your opinion. It just came to me as we were discussing. That makes sense, and I think also he does drop quite deep into the box when he goes into it, Kamara. And there should have been more thought to other midfielders joining that from the edge, edge of the area, which is what happens. And that should be something which central midfielders are looking out for when the ball's in that sort of area. And because everyone else was ball watching and didn't need, need him to be also watching the ball, <laughs> there's, there's no need for it. Just be aware of other, other people. That would have been solved quite easily if you would just looked around a little bit, scans, seen that Smallbone was there. Think, oh, I'll just head back a little, a little bit and walk close deep into the box to see what he's doing. And then that could have been, been it resolved. So I do think, yeah, what Fark's saying that it was, I mean, like, you know, he didn't entirely blame it on Somerville. He did. Maybe to say that it was because of the injury as well. So he gave him that leeway, but I do think that there was more than just him involved, like we mentioned. Yeah, and to now build on a question from Kai on Twitter. Uh, Farker left it quite late to make any substitutions, as he often has done this season, and he's come under some criticism for not making changes at half-time. In the post-match press conference, he said, I didn't want to show there with two or three substitutions, and I didn't want to embarrass them. I want to give the whole team the chance to show a reaction, and that's what they did. I didn't have the feeling after the first half there are one or two players just to blame. And uh, Jacob, he wants to point out, Jacob of the podcast that is, he wants to point out that he did embarrass Coda Drama versus Ipswich. So what what's your take on his substitutions? I know that we've had this discussion on the podcast before, but yeah, how, how did you feel his substitutions were on Saturday? They were definitely too late. Uh, I can understand maybe not wanting to do them all at half time. That that's fair. Um wanting to give them a chance to improve in the second half. But I don't think he made a substitution until the seventieth minute. 
Is that right? Yeah, something like that. It was definitely after the first goal, which was the, our goal, which was 59. So. Yeah, so I think it was, so there was only like 20 minutes left of the game by that point. And I think that's just a bit too late to be after changing something when you're that many goals down. Um, maybe he didn't have to make two or three subs at halftime, but he could maybe have made one just to change the way we were approaching the game in possession. I think if we were to have brought on Bamford, say, at halftime, and taken off one of the one of the attacking line, I would have opted personally for uh, Dan James, um, take him off, put Ruter on on the right wing where he was, and get get Bamford up front. So you've got a true number nine who's able to attack the near post like we know he can. He's got great movement in the box. I know he's still on his way back up to full fitness, but he could have come on at halftime without an issue, in my opinion. And I think the thing about not wanting to embarrass players is. A bit bullshit, to be honest. <laughs> I, I think that's a little bit of a get out, in, in my in my opinion. And like Jacob mentioned, he did do it to Drame, where he shifted him off. And didn't Drame only come on as a substitute as well in that game? Yeah, he came. He came on at twenty two minutes. Yeah, so he'd only been in in the game for like twenty minutes, and he, he shifted him off at halftime. So if you could do it, to and him, it was a fast game, right? It was a fast game. So he's he's, he's yeah. Hard away game at Ipswich who play very good football. And yeah, he did make a, make a, a few back. errors. Yeah, exactly. He was playing out of position. And he did he did, did that to Drame. So that's obvious that Drame wasn't part of his plans, in my opinion. That uh, So that is something that we can put on FARC. But yeah, he does need to make more active changes and be proactive in trying to get sort out these issues before it gets too late. And by the point he did make them, it was too late to really make them in- influential. Yeah, for me, I felt Pat should have come on, but then I was just like, he's he's probably not up to fitness. Maybe that's why. Um, so I said that. I didn't understand the taking off of Somerville um, instead of Dan James. I, I did feel like that was, I felt like Anthony for James was one of the changes to make. And then mm-hmm. for me, I would have then brought on Pat for Perot and given Somerville his run at 10 that he's, he's been quoted as saying he sees yeah. his role. So give it him. Now you're three one down. You've got nothing to lose. Three nil down. Give, give it, give it that chance, right? He was very good as well. Yeah. Somerville. He was, he was winning fouls all over the place. Their players were all over him, and he was one of the players who was getting us forward when we, when we needed it. Yeah, and that was something again, which kind of like picked up on the rewatch is that a lot of the stuff that we're getting going for us when we're going forward in games which we're not doing well in is Somerville's ball retention and getting himself in between the ball and the player to win a to win a foul. Um, yeah, I just felt, I, I agree, I felt like he should have made changes earlier. I think that he could have definitely made one at halftime. It wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been embarrassing to anyone to make that change at halftime and then make a tactical change. You know, you're 3-0 down. Something's not working. Just admit that defeat in that sense. Um, the players also had 10 minutes to respond to being 3-0 down, right? So, <laughs> yeah, before, before halftime. Um, and finally, you've touched on the Empire Josie on Twitter asked, Perot is definitely the Empire, but Ruta is too sweet, unpredictable and bouncy, and clearly Rebel Alliance. So which players, in your opinion, represent the Empire, and who is a Sith Lord? In fact, no, that should be who represent the Rebel Alliance and who is a Sith Lord. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, no, I enjoyed this. I'm glad that Jacob included it in the run order. Something a bit bit of fun. Um, and so I had, a, I had a think about this, and the only thing I, c- I can relate would be in, in the eyes of some fans at least not me personally that Luke Ayling was once a Rebel Alliance fighter and has shifted over to the dark side in the eyes of some of our fans 
could, could he could he be uh, General Tarkin? Yes, that that would be a good analogy, actually. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then for me, I'm I'm probably going to go with something along the lines of Jimmy Shackleton's like a little Ewok. <laughs> that's that's just that's just that that's where I'm going with it. I'm not gonna. I, I don't think I need to say more. If you want to see what I also said on Twitter, you can do where I basically compared uh, Lewis Bate to peak Sith Anakin before he gets burnt by lava. Um, which I think Lewis Bate would take right now, seems though he's not getting any first team football. Yeah, yeah, I reckon he would. He's definitely got that em- that emo look going. Yeah. So, um, and that that brings us to an end of the review. Indeed. So, yeah. Um, but I'd get shouted at by Tom Solderson if I didn't talk about this. Uh, so, throughout the season, we've been putting out bonus content via our Patreon platform. Patreon is a media platform in which you can show your support to creators you enjoy and you receive bonus content in return. Who doesn't want more of us? Uh, we put out Patreon-only podcasts and analysis articles, and our patrons also get all our podcasts ad-free, plus early access to our preview pods. And in case you missed it, we have two Patreon-only pods. One which was our State of the Squad podcast, which we did after the transfer window, and we look over the squad depth. And then we had the Under-21 pod, which had its first episode mid-September, just about. Yeah. Um. And that mainly covered the new look under-21 league, the new structure for that, and included a discussion on the International Cup in which the under-21s began on Thursday night, was that, with a win over OGC Nice last week. So if you want access to that content, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash ASAW Patreon. And all that's left is for me to say, come back later on, there'll be a QPR pod that'll be out before Wednesday. Yeah, um, we'll be recording it immediately after this, so yes. Yeah, um, so yeah, come back later on in the week, basically tomorrow, um, for that. And all that's left for me to say is thank you to Martin. Thank you too, Tom. Ah, thank you. And thank you, dear listeners, and we will see you next time. Enjoy QPR. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.